All right. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and Father, we are so thankful that where two or three are gathered, you are in the midst. And Father, we are also thankful that everybody who may be at home right now, that you are living within them, and you are in them, and that in that through you, we are together, one in spirit. Father, we love you, and Father, we cannot thank you enough for your love for us. Father, we thank you that you care about us, that you desire to have a relationship with us, and that you long to spend eternity with us, and that you have given us your revelation of yourself and of ourselves, and you have given us your word to study, to meditate on, to learn, and to know you by. And so, Father, as we spend this hour to to read your word about you, Father, I pray that you open our minds and soften our hearts to be receptive to your word, to understand your word, so that we can grow closer in our relationship with you and that we can know you more. We love you, Father. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are working through this idea, this theme of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, uh, throughout the entire Bible. We've been working on it since uh, the beginning of the year, and I am excited. We're into the New Testament. Um, today, we are looking at... Uh, today, we are... See? All right, might as well. I said right before this sermon this morning that I don't easily get distracted, and there I was. I, I got distracted, because uh, my... But it wasn't that back row, so they're okay. Um <laughs> My, my technology is still acting up. We might need to say a prayer that our technology starts working. Uh, I think we're good to go. But we're, we have made it to the New Testament, and last week we looked at chapter, Matthew chapters 1 through 4, introduction of this idea that Jesus went around preaching about the kingdom of God. And so today we're going to start diving into his teachings about the kingdom of God. Um, we're going to jump in in the end of Matthew chapter 4. Uh, one thing we're going to kind of see, I, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but one thing that you'll, you'll notice is that Matthew presents Jesus at the, at the beginning of his gospel as the new Moses. So you see all these things about Moses, and then you see these parallels with Jesus um, as, he's, as he's telling uh, the, the story of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. And so what happens is, you remember that Moses went up on the mountain, and when he was up on the mountain, he distributed the law. And that's kind of the picture that Matthew is painting here with Jesus, where he goes up on the mountain, and then he distributes the law. And so Jesus teaches the same law, but he clarifies it, and he teaches it uh, more clearly for us. So Matthew chapter 4 Uh, starting in verse 23, it says, Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. That good news, that's what we use, the word gospel. So everybody here is familiar with gospel. Gospel means good news. We tell you that all the time. That is the same thing. And so here we're talking about the good news of the kingdom. When 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 the New Testament apostles and the early church went around preaching the gospel, they were telling the story, the good news of Jesus Christ as king of his kingdom, a kingdom that we are being invited into. So this is, uh, these are one and the same. The gospel of the kingdom is what Jesus went around teaching. It says um, in verse 24 and 25, 
It says, Then the news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And so you see this picture that Jesus is going around performing healings, performing uh, miracles, and he is starting to gather a large crowd of people are flocking to him. What's the main reason you think the large crowds of people were flocking to Jesus? For healings. That was the main reason. Whether they were demon-possessed, whether they had some kind of physical infirmities, whether they had some kind of disabilities, whatever the case was, they were flocking to Jesus in, in droves in order to be healed by him. But Jesus had a, a, a focus. See, Jesus came to earth for a reason. And he healed people's bodies, but that was not the main reason he came. He came to heal people's souls forever. Because the body is temporary, at least on this earth right now. This body is temporary. We will receive an eternal glorified body one day. But that's not this body. He came not to heal the body forever, but to heal the soul forever. It goes on to say that when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them. So there you go. Jesus had large crowds of people from all over the place coming to him. They're following him because of the miracles and the healings that he's performing. But Jesus then takes advantage of that. He uses it to his advantage to sit down and teach them. Because he used the the healings, the purpose of using the healings was to get the gospel to them. That That was the main point. If you ask me what was the main point of Jesus' healings, it was in order to prepare for giving them the gospel. So the healings was a way for him to share the true saving message, the one that would save their soul and not just their bodies. And then he begins this famous sermon that we were all familiar with. Most of you probably say blessed. I say blessed. Hope that doesn't distract you. But, I, but blessed. And that's what he's talking about, Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And I want to show you real quick. The first blessed statement is blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then the last blessed statement he makes in verse uh, 10. If I, it takes me a second to count my numbers. 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He starts and stops the same way. It's called bookends. It's where he uses the exact same phrase, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The last one, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He uses those as bookend statements for all his blessed statements. And so it brings out a point. What is the point? The point is, the purpose of his blessed statements, the purpose of these statements that he's making, is to teach you about who the kingdom belongs to. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
this is the whole point of him giving these blessed statements to the large crowds. He is trying to show you this is who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. Now, who's interested to know who goes to the kingdom of heaven, who belongs to the kingdom of heaven? I'm interested, and I'm sure every single person listening to Jesus at that, at that time was interested. We all want to know how to, how to enter the kingdom. We all want to know how to get to heaven. We all want to know that we're going to be okay for all of eternity. We want to know these things. And it's not heresy for me to say this. It's not crazy for me to say this. But as your pastor, if Christianity is not right, I want to know. Shouldn't we all feel that way? If my eternal soul is headed down the wrong path, and it's not really Jesus Christ, but it's the prophet Muhammad that I should be following, or the teachings of Joseph Smith that I should be following, or, or, or the, you know, if, 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 if this is wrong and I'm going to spend eternity separated from God, the real God, I want to know. So I haven't taken this half-hearted. I've studied the scriptures diligently. I've studied other faiths. I want to know what they have to say. I want to hear the best of the best. And that's a piece of advice I want to give you. Uh, this, is, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I just want to give it to you. Um, if you, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. If there's anything where there's a disagreement about the topic, you don't just want to hear the people that constantly just say what you want to hear. You want to hear the best argument on one side, and you want to hear the best arguments on the other. You don't want to hear the best arguments on the side that you like, and then let's find somebody that don't really know what they're talking about on the other side. No, 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 no. If you want to know the truth, the truth can only be found by listening to the best arguments on both sides. That way you can know what's really true. And I'm telling you, the, the arguments that I have heard for the reliability of this document right here, for the accuracy of these documents right here, for the trustworthiness of these documents right here, and then the arguments that I've heard for the actual fulfillments of these reliable, trustworthy documents that could only be done if somebody had a supernatural, divine power that could tell them the future, the prophets, and all these fulfillments that came true, and then to hear the arguments against these, this book and the arguments against Christianity, and I'm telling you, the arguments against Christianity just don't hold water. It doesn't. And that's what I love about our faith. We're not afraid for Christians. Now, some of us are because we haven't studied, but that's different. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the faith as a whole. Scholars of our faith are not afraid to be asked and probed questions about our faith because the truth and the evidence holds up. But you have other faiths that if you criticize the leaders of that faith, if you criticize or question that faith, you're immediately condemned and shut down. Because truth be told, the evidence doesn't hold up. And so I hope, I hope that you are um, confident uh, that we do have a strong faith. We have an evidential faith. We have a faith that, that, that holds up to the, the, any questions that anybody has to ask. But, but I'm sorry, I got off on a tangent. But here we go. So Jesus is, is, is giving us these blessed statements. And so I'm going to back up to verse 3. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now notice, if we start off with the first, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This idea of the poor in spirit, what does that mean? Well, what does it mean to be poor? It means be poor. In South, we can do those definitions. We can, we can do that in the South. What's the definition of poor? It means be poor. Okay, we're good. <laughs> so think about throughout the Old Testament, people who were re- referenced in the Old Testament who were poor. What were their characteristics? What were they like? What did they do? What we see is they had to depend on God. They had to cry out to God. They had to depend on His provision every day. That if God didn't take care of them, they weren't going to be taken care of. And so when you are poor, and Jesus talks about this a lot in the New Testament. Well, he, he talks about it in the opposite when he talks about the rich. He, he talks about how difficult it is for, the, for rich people to come to God, for enter the kingdom of heaven. The reason is because the tendency is, and this isn't a, you know, every single person is different, but the rules are generally apply. The more wealthy you are, the less you feel a dependency on anyone else. And that's just truth be told. If you can provide for yourself and you feel very comfortable and secure, you don't feel dependency on anyone else. And the person that we must feel dependency on is God. And so it's difficult, Jesus said, for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven because they don't feel like they need God. Ever had that conversation with anybody? It really doesn't matter if they're rich or not, but that's what we're talking about right now. Where they just don't feel like they need God. It's easier to feel like you don't need God when you're wealthy. It's easier. Because you feel like he hasn't done anything for you. He doesn't change anything about your life. You got everything that you need. And that's the point. When we're talking about the when Jesus is talking about the poor in spirit, it's this idea that you are maybe you might not be financially poor, but you're poor in your spirit. That you feel a dependency on God. You feel that you need God. You, re- you recognize that you are hopelessly without hope without God. That, that you, can't, you, you, you can't be right without God. That you need Him to provide for you. You need Him to provide for your spirit. You need Him to provide for your soul. The opposite of being poor in spirit would to be proud in spirit. Okay, so someone who's very proud in spirit and very proud, they're not humble, which is mentioned again. But this is what he's talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now we're talking about this idea and the concept of this kingdom. This whole thing is about the kingdom. How will the mourn be comforted? He's telling us that in this kingdom that there will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death. And that you have a promise and a hope. You can be comforted in the midst of your pain knowing that when you inherit this kingdom, and I need to point this out, some of these he's talking about, he's referencing in a future tense. 
that they will be comforted. This idea that when you inherit the kingdom, when you enter into the kingdom, that you will be okay. That you won't have pain anymore. That you won't be sorrowful anymore. He said, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. And that's what, kind of what we talked about at the beginning with. Humble, not proud. This idea, though, he, he introduces is that they will inherit the earth. We're looking back at this idea of Jesus and Moses where God, through Moses, had gave a promise to the Israelites that they would inherit the promised land, that they would come in and they would inherit Canaan. They would inherit this land in the Middle East, in this Palestine area, that they would inherit this portion of land where Jesus comes along as the greater Moses and he makes pronouncings and promises and he says, blessed are the humble for they will inherit the whole earth. And as the Messiah, that is what he's introducing. That this kingdom that the Messiah is bringing, bringing to us, this kingdom that he's introducing is not just going to be a kingdom in the Middle East. It is going to be in a kingdom where the kingdom stretches the entire globe. And that the members of this kingdom will inherit not just the land in the Middle East, but they will inherit the land of the whole earth. They will inherit the earth. That is a beautiful kingdom. Then he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This idea of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is the idea of repentance. It's this idea of turning from sin and desiring to live a holy life. That's what hungering and thirsting for righteousness is. That you desire, you hunger, you yearn to be righteous. You want to be righteous. But if you're poor in spirit, if you're humble, you'll recognize that you're not. That we're not righteous. We desire to be righteous. We yearn to be righteous. We want to be holy before God. But we recognize that we're not. And so what does he say? He didn't say, and so you'll fill yourselves with righteousness. He said, you will be filled. He will fill us with his righteousness. The righteousness of Christ will be poured into us. That the members of the kingdom, that if you yearn and you hunger for the righteousness of God, you will be filled, passive. You will be filled with the righteousness of God. And he says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And that is exactly how you enter the kingdom. You enter the kingdom because you have been shown God's grace and mercy. You didn't earn it. You didn't fill yourself with righteousness. You desired to be righteous before God. You desired to be with God. And he shows us mercy. Y'all know the difference between grace and mercy? I've said it a few times. Grace is when you all right, let me do mercy first because it's easier that way. I get confused the other way around. Mercy is when you deserve something bad and it's not given to you. In other words, you did something wrong, you deserve punishment. You deserve something negative coming your way, but the person who's supposed to give you that negative, whatever it is, decides not to. That's called mercy. Grace is when you don't deserve anything good, but it's given to you anyways. So grace is you don't deserve my car, I mean, y'all deserve my car, but you get my point. 
You don't deserve for me to just give you my car, but if I did, that would be an act of grace. I gave you something you didn't necessarily earn. I gave you something you didn't necessarily deserve. I gave you something good you didn't deserve. Mercy is when you deserve something bad, but I don't give it to you. And that's what mercy is here. We, don't des- we, we deserve judgment. We deserve God's judgment for our sins. But he's chosen not to give us that judgment. He has shown us mercy. And therefore, as members of a kingdom who have been shown mercy by God, he expects us to do the same. Blessed are the merciful, those who show mercy to others, because they will be shown, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And this is again where you see Jesus digging deeper into this set of laws as opposed to the laws handed to us by God through Moses, the Ten Commandments. Here, what Jesus is digging down to, because he's not changing the law, he's not changing anything, he's just clarifying everything for us. What he's telling us is it goes all the way to the heart level. Because, see, that was a big problem, and it's still a big problem. It's always a big problem. That we can pretend to be righteous on the outside. We can, we can do the right things, we can follow the rules, and we can appear to be righteous on the outside. But Jesus said it's not what's on the outside that matters. What's on the outside doesn't matter at all. What matters is what's on the inside at the heart level. Because if you go out in the streets, and he condemned the Pharisees for doing this, if you go out in the streets and, and you make yourself look like you haven't eaten in a week because you're fasting and you're trying to make it appear that, and, and let everybody know that you're, you know, put on your sackcloth, go out in the streets, and, and so everybody knows that you're fasting. If you're doing that for attention, your heart's in the wrong place, and it does you no good before God. In the same way in the Old Testament where the priests would bring sacrifices to the temple, which God had commanded them to do. God commanded the, temp- the sacrifices to be brought into his temple and, and be performed and given to him. But they had, they had abandoned it from their heart. And they were coming in and they were giving sacrifices that weren't really the best of their crops. They were give- bringing lame animals and all these different things. They were also perverting justice at the t- same time. So they, they come into the temple and do their ritual duties, but they'll go out and they take advantage of the poor. They, would, they, they were not right at the heart level. And so God said, literally, he said, I wish that you would just shut the doors and quit performing sacrifices because they do you no good. The outside does not matter. What's on the inside matters. And so he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Not, not blessed are, are those who are able to follow every rule. It's blessed to those who want to. Blessed are those who at the heart level desire a relationship with me. Who love me. Love me from their heart. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. And this was also very important. Jesus did come as the Messiah, and he was teaching about this kingdom, and he was going town to town teaching about this kingdom. But one thing that the people had in mind that he did not was that he had no intentions of a military conquest. None. He had no intentions of going and, and setting up his kingdom and having his army and putting his army together and going around and battling other, other nations. 
and taking them down and forcing them to be Christians. Because the truth of the matter is, it doesn't work. The church, if you read uh, magazines like The Voice of the Martyr and listen to people's stories from other countries, one common thing I hear a lot is the church thrives in countries under persecution. I'm not saying I want all countries to persecute Christianity. Please, that's not my heart at all. But the point is, the church, when, tried, when it tries to be stomped out in countries, it like, it's like a burning fire and a flame, and it, and it, and it, and it spreads. But in countries, or in, in times past, where Christianity has made the official de facto religion, and it's forced upon the people, and you, by law, you must be Christian, it just withers away and depletes. Jesus was not saying, hey, I'm your king. Who's ready to sign up to be in my army? Come on, let's conquer these nations and we'll make everybody Christians because that's what God wants. That is absolutely the opposite of what Jesus was trying to teach. Because you can't force people outwardly to love God. It must be inward. It must be from the heart. And so, instead of conquest and conquerors, he is going to, his desire is to win over the world, but it's not through military might, it's through love and compassion and mercy. That's how he plans to spread the kingdom right now. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And the truth is, we will be persecuted for turning from sin. We will. There's a reason. Because God is real. Angels are real. Satan is real. Demons are real. We are real. This is real reality. And there's an enemy. And not only an enemy, not only a spiritual enemy such as, such as demons, but also the flesh is considered an enemy. The scripture says that our flesh wages war against the spirit and does not want to do the, th- the things of the spirit. There's a real battle going on. And so when we take a stand and say, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to do such and such. I'm not going with you to this party. I'm not going to make jokes like the jokes that you're making. I'm not going to laugh at your jokes when you tell me this ugly joke. I'm not going to laugh. I'm just going to look you in the face. I'm not going to laugh because I don't think it's funny. When I make a stand against sin, then everyone, because this is our own past, I'm not trying to say me versus them. This is every one of our past. It's just reality. When a person takes a stand against sin, those who embrace sin don't like it. Don't like it. And we as Americans really have not really ever had to face persecution for our faith. Yeah, you can name stories, but they're few and far between. As a society, what we consider persecution is not really persecution yet. And I pray it never will be. But when you take a stand against sin, there will always be those who embrace sin who, want, who will opposite take a stand against you. You will be persecuted for taking a stand against sin. Jesus said, "Persecuted, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And that's the point. 
They're persecuted because they stand on righteousness. Because they are choosing to live righteous, holy lives before God. And they are persecuted for it. And so don't get sucked into, and I, I, don't have, I, don't, I don't need to spend time on this, but I just want to mention it because you can't turn the TV on without seeing it. Don't get sucked into this idea that Jesus and your relationship with Jesus is for the purpose of making your life great on this earth. It's not. It's for the purpose of bringing other people to Christ while you're on this earth so that we can have an amazing life for eternity. But Jesus promised that if you stand on righteousness, you will be persecuted. He was persecuted. He was killed. His apostles were persecuted. They were killed. The early church was dispersed. James wrote to all those dispersed. Because the early church, not just the apostles, not just Jesus, the early church was persecuted. Christians have been persecuted from the day that Jesus spoke these words to today. That's not our goal for this next 50, 80 years. It's not to, our goal, okay, I might as well just say it. I watched a sermon online recently. I just wanted wanted to double check and see if if the status quo was still the same. I'm just going to be honest. I don't normally watch this person on, on, I don't watch their sermons, but I just wanted to check and see if anything's changed during this pandemic or anything. And, and so anyways, watched the sermon recently and, and uh, same thing. That your faith is within your power. That the things that happen to you are in your power. It's called word of faith. Your words have power because you're made in the image of God And God created things, you have the power to create reality because you're made in his image. Completely false. Completely false. But this idea that, that, and almost the entire, the entire sermon was about declaring that you be successful. Declaring that you be attractive if you're looking for a spouse. You declare that you're attractive. You declare that you're successful. You declare that God's going to bring wealth your way. You declare that God is going to bring these things into your life. The whole sermon was about making your life full of wealth and health. The whole sermon. We're going to be so wealthy when we inherit this kingdom. I just, I don't want y'all to miss this. We're going to be so wealthy when we inherit this kingdom. The streets are paved with gold. There is no amount of wealth in this world that you personally can obtain that will compare to the poorest people who inherit this kingdom. Bill Gates has nothing on the poorest person who inherits the kingdom of God. Nothing. And we should not be chasing after anything except for what we can use for the kingdom. Is it wrong to have wealth? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know why? Let me tell you why. Because if Christians don't have wealth, guess who does? Everybody else. They're going to use it to their advantage. Jesus said, be as, as wise as a serpent. He said, use everything you have to the advancement of the kingdom. If God has given you wealth, use it to the advancement of the kingdom. It's not wrong. 
It's an opportunity. You can feed children. You can go on Compassion.com. You could go with $10 right now. You can go on Compassion.com. You can look at their gift section, and you can donate $10 to any, any gift you want. You want to give somebody chickens? You can give somebody chickens. You want to give a family a cow? 450 bucks. You can give a family a cow. Can't afford to give a family a cow? You can give them 20 bucks. And if enough other people that do the math that 20 gets to 450 at some point, that family will have a cow. They have for $1,500, I know I'm getting way up there, $1,500 you can donate to, to take, to rescue a girl from, from a situation where she's being sex trafficked. I don't have $1,500, but if enough, enough of us give 10, we'll get there. There's nothing wrong with wealth if it's used for the right purposes to honor God. Nothing. But there is something wrong with spending an entire sermon talking about how you should uh, be successful and be wealthy and then never mention at all how you should use it for the kingdom. Because that's not the point. We are blessed by being members of the kingdom. That's what blessing is. All right. You are blessed, verse 11, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And that's the same thing. The prophets were persecuted. Jesus was persecuted. The early church was persecuted. And if you take a stand on righteousness, you will be persecuted. But at the end of the day, it's worth it. And so the whole point, why did Jesus even, even, even give this whole sermon? Why did, he, why did he give the sermon on the mount? Why, what was he expecting the people to get from this? He expected the people to actually take what he was saying and actually live it. Was he not? Actually apply it? He wasn't just giving them fortune cookie sayings. He wasn't just saying, oh, these are nice little tidbits, one-liners. He was saying, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, this is who's going to enter the kingdom of God. Let me describe who's going to enter the kingdom of God. People who are poor in spirit, not proud in spirit. People who humble themselves before God. People who are merciful to others. People who are persecuted for standing on righteousness and not walking away from righteousness because persecution is coming their way. That's, that's perseverance of the saints, is what he's saying here. That if you have persecution coming your way, you can make two choices. You can stand on righteousness, you can stand and take persecution, or you can say, eh, you know what, that's not, that's, that's not for me. God's great, Christianity's great, but I have no desire to be persecuted, so I'm not going to do anything God asked me to do. I'm not going to take a stand in public. I'm not going to share the gospel. I'm not going to have these conversations. I'm just going to just not do what God wants me to do because, because I'm not willing to be persecuted. He goes on to say, you, and this is, this is where he's wrapping it up. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are a light of the light of the world. 
A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You are a light on a hill, Jesus said. He said, here's, here's what people look like that are going to enter the kingdom. You want to enter the kingdom? This is what the people look like that are going to enter the kingdom. This is how they live. This is how they relate to God. This is how they act because it's at the heart level. They're pure in heart, heart level. He says, if you're one of those people, you're a light on the hill. Why? Why are you a light? Why do you shine bright? Because you're surrounded by darkness. It's true. It's not saying that you should stand against the darkness. That's not what it's saying. Because our war is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities. It's against those who have deceived those. Our goal is to save the lost, not, not push away the lost. But it does not deny the fact that if you stand on righteousness and you go out into the world that we currently live in, you will shine brightly and stand out from the crowd because you are going against the grain of what the society and the culture we currently live in. Because the society and culture we currently live in is dark. It stands against the truth of God's word. It hates God's word. It stands against the principles taught in God's word. And if you make that stance, you will shine brightly. And Jesus said, don't lose your saltiness. Let me just phrase that up by saying, don't be deluded by the world. Don't compromise with the world. Because once you lose that distinction, once you lose that flavor, he said, you're not getting it back. How many, and this is a rhetorical question, please don't answer out loud, but how many well-known pastors can you think of who have been caught in an affair or done something else awful, they're not getting their saltiness back. They're not getting that distinction back. It's gone, Jesus said. It's gone. Don't throw that away. Don't throw that away. You are a light shining in the darkness. Be bright. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the darkness. And don't cover up yourself. That's what he said. You know, light is not meant to be put under a basket. It's meant to stand out on a hill. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of standing up and and living a righteous life against sin. Don't make people make you feel bad for doing the right thing. And don't cover yourself up and hide. Be known. Be public. Don't dilute yourself. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Because you have been given entrance into the kingdom of heaven. If for no other reason, then God has forgiven you of all your sins and has promised that you will spend eternity with him. So stay faithful. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't compromise. And don't stop being what Jesus said. If any of these blessed um, statements that you look at and say, you know what, I don't feel like I'm very merciful. Or I don't feel like I'm a peacemaker. If I'm just going to be honest, every time I go to so-and-so, I'm always complaining about what I don't like. And I'm always starting up, I'm always starting up 
conflict for no reason. That's not a peacemaker. Maybe I'm whatever. Like if we're just going to, I mean, whatever it is, if you read in one of these things and you say, you know what? I don't know that my friends could accurately describe me as humble. Jesus said, get your heart right. And I'm going I'm to finish on this. There's a difference. Like I said, I said, get your heart right. I'm not humble. Well, get your heart right. This is my point. If you have a radiator in your car, of course, you, uh, let me just say, let me rephrase that. You have a radiator in your car. <laughs> Unless your car is not running currently, you have a radiator in your car. If you open the hood, which I encourage you to do, if you open the hood and you notice that your radiator is low, <clears throat> You could relate that to looking at this and saying, I notice that my humble meter is low. I'm not very humble. I need to fill that back up. There's two things you could do. That radiator's low. You could work really hard every day, just keep pouring, pouring your antifreeze back in that radiator every day. And, that, and don't try not to give up. Or you could find the problem because your radiator is not supposed to be low it's not supposed to be leaking you're not supposed to be running out every day trying to pour it back in yourself that's a never-ending battle you're just trying 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 to fix a symptom the problem is not the symptom every single one of these things that he mentioned could be related to symptoms symptoms of someone who is a member of the kingdom or someone who's not a member of the kingdom And when you become a member of that kingdom, when you inherit that kingdom, something really happens. The hole you got gets fixed. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you. The Holy Spirit changes who you are. You're made into a new creation. So if you're noticing that you're having low radiator fluid in your symptoms, don't try to treat the symptoms by being a better person. Go to the root source of the problem and say, you know what, God, I think the root is my heart has strayed from you. My heart has drifted from you. Because if I can get my heart back to you, then all these other symptoms will fall in place. I'll be more humble. I'll be more of a peacemaker. I'll be more loving. I'll be more caring. I'll stand, I'll be able to stand on righteousness stronger. Where's your heart at? And is your radiator low? It's not about being a better person. It's about knowing a person. It's about growing closer to a person. It's about loving a person from your heart. And if we start seeing symptoms of bad fruit, we need to get back to the root of the problem. The root is that our hearts have strayed away from God and we need to pull our hearts back to God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Father, we can't even comprehend your love for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have granted us entrance into your kingdom but father i pray if there is a single person listening to this message right now 
that has not given their life to you and their heart to you. Not worried about outward things, not worried about outward appearances, worried about what's the real desire, what's the true desire of the heart to love you. Jesus, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Father, I pray if there's anybody who wants to give their life to you, Father, they would make that decision absolutely, unequivocally right now. To ask you, Father, to forgive them of their sins against you. To desire to be in right relationship with you. To make a commitment to to turn from sin and, and to live a holy life before you. To stand strong in their faith. To stand on righteousness in the, in the midst of the dark world that we live in. And that they would be a shining light that reflected you to the world around us. Because every single one of us, every single one of us started off in the same place. Lost and separated from you because of our sin. And Father, we are thankful that you are a merciful and loving God. Father, we love you and we thank you for your love for us. Father, guide us and help us to navigate this world. Help us to stay strong, to stand firm, to, 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 to stand on your word and to stand on you, the rock of our faith. We love you, Father. We thank you for your never-ending, never-failing, never-dying love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Love you, church. I ask that you please stand with us for this last song.